Welcome to the Cello Sherpa Podcast, where we explore all aspects of the climb to the summit from intermediate musician to the professional stage. Check us out online at thecellosherpa.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Cello Sherpa. I'm Joel Dallow, your host. I joined the cello section of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra in 1999 and founded the Riverside Chamber Players based in Roswell, Georgia in 2003. Today's episode is sponsored by Clear Resources, your premier resource for compliance, legal, ethics, and risk. For more information, visit them online at clearresources.com. Last week, we released part one of this fantastic conversation with Jonathan Colbert. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that yet, I recommend starting with that episode before you listen to this one, since we're going to jump right back into the middle of that conversation now. How about when it comes to hiring practice? We're doing things now that are pretty different, and especially in this last year, we have implemented keeping a screen up through all the rounds. Mm -hmm. We've implemented, and all orchestras are approaching this differently, although a lot are doing similar things. We've stopped in our orchestra screening resumes so that the barrier for entry isn't there. Anybody that wants to come play can play. And we have the screen up all the way till the end with no knowledge of who the person is that we're hiring. We're making hiring decisions based only on how they play. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this is the right approach to solving some of this problem? Yeah, that's a huge part of it. All of these small things add up in the end. And the biggest way that I think those things that you just mentioned affect change is because people see that I'm looking for that when I audition in an orchestra. Uh-huh because I don't have time to deal with nonsense at this point in my career. You know, I'm not trying to go and have some funny stuff go on. And so you're signaling to people like myself who might take an audition and say, oh, great, screen up the whole time. I can go play. It's based on how good I can play. And you're going to get a higher percentage of applicants from diverse backgrounds, 100%. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so that that's a, that's a big part of it. There's a pool of players there. Why aren't those people coming to take auditions? It's not like they're not there. These are reasons why. So people will actually not go take an audition in certain orchestras because of reputation of how they've done their hiring. Yeah. And the perception that possibly orchestras are not hiring people based on lots of different reasons that have nothing to do with how you play. Absolutely. And that is, like you said, a signal that's being sent out into the community, like don't bother to go there because their hiring practice is not fair. Right. And the classical music world is very small. We meet people all the time that you know and know somebody else. The black and POC classical music world, even smaller. So everybody talks. Yeah. You know, if somebody has a bad experience somewhere else, people will know that and have to make their own decision if, if they want to be involved with that said organization or audition or whatever. But yeah, those are things that organizations can definitely do. And that's great that Atlanta is doing that. On the flip side, you have people who want the screen down because they want, you know, if a diverse or there's a black person in the finals, you want to see that person, right? And know. Yeah. And so it's difficult. A lot of times there's pressure, I would say, from other places that if we had the screen down in the finals, then we could make that decision based on race. And I've heard some of that, too, as the argument of how to solve the problem, is we just need to hire people of color. We just need to hire more people that fit that mold. And by taking the screen down in the finals, we can do that. Sure. That's an argument. Yeah. I mean, 
only time will tell, right? Which, which way is the best, but you have to get the people to audition in the first place. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, not just like making this up, but there's people out there that just choose not to go to a certain place because of how they've done things in the past. Yeah. And so a way that I would also like reach out to organizations like Sphinx or NAS or schools, universities, and really try to recruit people to come and take the audition. You know, that's also a signal that you could do that. I don't think would, I don't know what your CBA is, but what, what would damage people's thought of the orchestra because those people still have to play. You're just encouraging them to audition because you want a diverse group. I don't see why anybody would have a problem with that if you have the screen up. And also, again, we're not screening resumes, so anybody can come. Right. I mean, that should be a pretty good signal too, right? That Absolutely. Diversity fellowships, mm-hmm. they're popping up everywhere now too. And mm-hmm. I think for the organization, they do something visual, which allows the orchestra to say, look, we're making a difference. Right. But there's also a side to this that I think a lot of people resent mm-hmm. and on both sides, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> or on, I should say, all sides, people sure. resent them for different reasons. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on the fellowship programs as a means to getting into an orchestra? Well, I will say this, that of all the diversity fellowships that are currently going on that have happened in the past, how many of those fellowships have turned into a job for that person or those people that were in the fellowship? I don't know of any, right? Where that person, somebody was in a fellowship and then they got a job. Maybe there's some, I don't, I don't know of it. Detroit. Detroit just happened this past oh, really? fall. Yes. And their diversity fellow was hired from completely behind a screen. Oh, perfect. In the cello section. Oh, amazing. Yep. So there you go. But a lot of times the organization will do this because, yeah, they might want to help people and they're really trying. Uh, and this is where earlier I said it's not necessarily a money thing because I know you were talking about something different, but. In my head, this is what I was talking about in terms of an organization will start a fellowship, throw a lot of money out there, have these people on stage. The audience thinks, wow, this orchestra is diverse. You know, little do they know all the people on stage are getting paid less than everybody else. So that also doesn't look good because, uh-huh. you know, all of them are different. Some of them are just for outreach, but their pictures would be all over the hall and all over the press stuff. Some of them play some concerts. Some of them play all. They're all very different. Yeah. The person getting the fellowship will get a lot out of it as a performer, but when their time is up as a fellow, it's over. <laughs> that's that's it. So are you saying then if you hire people as a fellow, there should be a path to employment? I think that if you're if we're really trying to get the best players, which of course orchestras are, I think that there should be something that person should definitely be at the top of the list for the real audition com- when it comes up. Like if they're pre-advanced to the semifinal round or something and have to play again. But there has to be a, an intent to have this person be a permanent member in some kind of way. It can't just be, we want a fellowship and that's it. Like if that person's getting coachings, uh-huh. there should be a clear, okay, we want you here. We want you to win the job. Not just, okay, come play for me. And like, like, no, like, this is how we do it here. This is what we want you to do. Like really, really, really make an effort so that person they know that, okay, they like me. They want me to be here. They have this sense of belonging, which is what I talked about earlier. Because I know, like, one of the fellowships, people from the orchestra get paid every time somebody gets a lesson with them, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think happens? And this is from somebody who was in this fellowship. They were in this fellowship, and people, hey, hey, you, sh- hey, you should come play for me. You should really come play for me. 
Mm -hmm. So they get paid. You're this person that has the job. So I should be thankful that you want me to play for you, you know, but they want to check. I guess, you know, not everybody. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, it brings up an interesting point. I mean, I think there's a way to do a fellowship properly, but I think that part of the perception here that, that I would argue with is that if you get a fellowship, then you should have a really high probability of getting a job in that orchestra. And I agree that that's what we want to happen, but the issue is more that a fellowship really is more like a continuing education. And I think that that's what people need to look at and realize that you can't just put somebody in a job and then expect that they're going to then get the permanent job if they're not ready for it. And Mm -hmm. I think that what happens here is a lot of these fellowships are sort of designed like a continuation of a master's program. Like you're going to come and play some with Mm -hmm. the organization. You're going to get coachings. You're going to get lessons. We're going to mentor you and help you. But in order to get that fellowship, it's not the same stringent standards as playing an audition with a hundred people behind a screen and narrowing it down to one or two or three finalists or even a a candidate. So it's not necessarily fair either. I think a lot of people become defensive because to get a fellowship, you have to maybe play a few excerpts or something, and then you're eligible and then you get this opportunity. And yes, you don't get paid as much, but you also don't play as much. Now you could argue that maybe people that get the fellowship should play everything. That would be better. Mm -hmm. That's one way of approaching it. But at the same time, the danger here is we don't want to create two tracks to a job. Mm -hmm. Well, you can do this one like everyone else, or you can qualify for this diversity fellowship and that's your inside track to the job. Mm -hmm. And then you will be looked at as a diversity fellow. Even if you get that job and win that job, let's say fair and square, you're going to be looked at like you got a handout Mm -hmm. and you're never going to be treated like you belong. So I think how do we balance out those two things giving people the opportunity and giving them all of the tools to hopefully be successful in an audition, maybe putting them in the semifinals, like you're saying, and having coachings against this perception that that person got a handout. Right. Well, I think there's a lot of different ways to think about it, but the fact is that it's a diversity thing. So typically that organization is doing it to try to, whether it be more diverse or, you know, help fellows. I don't know. Like there's a reason why it's called the diversity fellowship, right? Otherwise it would just, it would be like some, the orchestra would have some kind of new world training center or something. It would be like that. But the organization is specifically calling it a diversity fellowship, right? Uh Because they want to help people from diverse backgrounds or they want to make their orchestra look more diverse, or they really want somebody in their orchestra that's from a diverse background. Right. Yeah. So that's number one, figuring out where you lay on that spectrum. Like what is the goal for that fellowship? Right. And so nobody's asking for a path or a handout because you're going to get that regardless. Even if you want and you didn't go to fellowship, you're going to get that for people that you're only here because of this. Yeah. So that's out of the equation, at least for me. (laughs) So I think that, yeah, it's important to, to understand where you lay on that spectrum and realize that everybody who's listening to the applicants for that fellowship has listened to probably, or like maybe one of the qualifications should be people listening for the fellowship should only have this a certain amount of year in the orchestra. And they've listened to X amount of auditions because you know what the level is. Uh 
And so if you're hiring somebody for the fellowship, that means that that person is ready to win a job or like is good enough to compete. I think that's part of the problem, Jonathan, is that that's not necessarily the case. What the case meaning the level is not there? The, not only is the level different, but the actual requirements in a lot of the fellowships are much more minimal compared to what is required to actually win a job behind the screen. So you're Oh, I know what the requirements are for an audition. I know like the list is not going to be nearly the same and you're competing against different instruments and I get all of that for sure. But I think that if the level is not there for somebody to win a job and the goal is to really help fellows, then we have to look at really what it is you're doing. If you're there to make the orchestra look more diverse by having these fellowships, but not actually trying to help people who are close to winning a job or have the potential to win a job with coachings for three years or whatever, which would be, I don't know how long fellowships are now, like maybe one or two years. Because think about New World, right? People have to audition for New World. Chicago Civic, yeah, they're not ready to win a job per se, but they're ready to get into New World. But what happens after two years or a year in New World when they're around people and they get coaches all the time? They go win a job somewhere. Yeah. And nobody, nobody's questioning that. They're fellows as well. So when people say the level is not higher, they'll like you play like two or three excerpts again to New World. Yeah. You've been in an audition before. You can tell in five seconds if somebody is good enough to win the audition. doesn't matter how big the list is. Yep. And so if you hear somebody with a sound that's like, okay, this is, we can work with this person. We've, that's where you lie on that spectrum. We're here to really train the next generation of people who are close, or we're here to like really just coach people and teach them how to play scales and, and tune. And then they go on to whatever else they're doing after this. Yeah. I mean, I think it is that level of closeness like you're talking about, but there's also this external pressure that if we have three diversity fellow spots mm -hmm. and 10 people apply across the orchestra, even if not everybody agrees that there's three candidates that would necessarily be at that level that we're talking about, mm -hmm. I think that the pressure would still be from management and from everything else that people are feeling from exterior forces that we need to fill these spots anyway. So right. then if we're putting people in the position that maybe aren't quite ready, then the outcome may continue to be what you're saying, which is they don't convert into full-time jobs. Right. And that's the problem, the pressure, the pressure for management. Why? Why is there pressure to have people feel that they're not ready if that's what the fellowship is not for? Because they want to look a certain way. They've got money, you know, for this thing that they're doing. And so they got to fix, fix this. Yeah. I don't care if they're not good. Just put them there. Yeah. Well, so then would it be better to have more or less of these programs and make sure they're at the level that they need to be or to have these in every orchestra, like what's happening right now, okay. to so try and solve I'll, the problem? I'll go back to my word that I've been using a lot, the signaling of it. If people signal that this is a joke and the level doesn't have to be high, why would people go audition for that? They could be doing something else or they know people don't have their best interest. But people go to New World. Why do people audition in New World? Because they know that if they get into it, that training orchestra for three years, that they'll have a much better chance at landing a job. Right. And if you go to a place that 10 people are showing up for the audition, it's like, I could get it, but is it really going to help me? Are people really invested in what I'm doing? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. Or am I just this person that I might play some pops concerts here and there where people get subbed out? I get a lesson with somebody who doesn't really care. Yeah. And then I'm living here. There has to be a standard. Make the standard really high <laughs> to get the best players. Yeah. It's that simple. If you, the signaling is, okay, you play two excerpts, play a scale, 
and maybe some sight reading. That's like all state. I'm not saying that that's what fellowships are, but a lot of like make a list, like an orchestral list. Yeah. And see who shows up because that's also like, I know that Chicago does that sometimes will, they'll make a huge list. Mm-hmm. This is the orchestra, not a fellowship, a huge list. Are they going to ask all that stuff? No, but it signals the best players are going to come. Like, I can do that list. Yeah. I'm there. I'm the, I'm the best. Okay. I see what you're saying. I can compete. And then the other people who don't, they're like, I can't do that. I'm gone. Then you're not going to have that problem where like somebody's not good enough or ready. Maybe. Yeah. And I mean, I think you're right. This, it's going to take some time to see where the organizations are really making a concerted effort to actually mentor and help the people in the program or whether they're just filling a position that's going to, for somebody that will just play the pops and educational concerts. And then at the end of that, they won't have gotten anything out of that experience. Right. But then the orchestra will get another fellow the next year. So that just keeps going. Right. And they can look the way they want to, to the audience, but not really right. do and make the necessary changes to make a big difference. Right. Before we go into the next thing, I just want to say also, like, as a person who would do the fellow, you would feel that sense of, I'm here because I'm black or POC and not because I'm good. You would feel that from other people, from other people in the, in the orchestra. Mm-hmm. And historically speaking, like, you always have felt like you're less than or even you get treated differently. And so when you're there on a fellowship, I've never done a fellowship like that. But from what I've heard, it's difficult because you do get treated like a fellow yeah. and a black person or a person of color at the same time. So you're getting like double, double whammy there. You know, it's like nobody's going to respect you the way that they would respect you if you like got invited to play a one year or something. You know, you're going to be looked at as this little thing that needs our help and wouldn't be able to do anything without us kind of thing which is disappointing. Again, it's not everybody who thinks like that, but it's that that thought process would go through my head if I was doing a fellowship. Uh-huh. Yeah. I played <laughs> I played in an orchestra one time where they invited me to come play and I was really excited about it. And then I get to the rehearsal and there's like a black person in each section. Right? Uh-huh. And they like make this announcement about it. You know? they're making an effort or something and it was really uncomfortable yeah it was uncomfortable because i wasn't there because i was good i was there because they were like oh no look what we're doing stand up look at our look what we're doing and then say what like yeah this is why your perspective is so important because i can't see that perspective i come from the perspective of wanting to help people and sometimes when you're a white man that's had all the doors open for you as you've gone through life and hasn't really noticed because that's just the way your life has been. You don't see those kinds of things. And you think that by helping people, you're actually doing the opposite. Sometimes. Yeah. I think that what that means then is that we need to bring more people of color and more minorities into the decision-making process of how to make these programs work rather than just deciding we're going to do it this way and this will be great. There you go. Ding, ding. Yeah. That's it. You got to have people of color making decisions. You got to have women involved. You got to have all different. That involves creativity. That makes different points of view to make the best decision for everyone. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? In my opinion, because like you said, you don't see certain points of view. I don't see you. But together, collectively, if we have a diverse group of people making decisions for diversity, uh-huh. <laughs> we're going to have a better outcome. You know, we're going to have a more foolproof decision and plan to go forward with. Otherwise, it's like, why are these people making decisions about diversity? They have no idea what they're doing. 
you know. But it's again, it's hard because a lot of times historically people of color aren't in positions to make these decisions. Right. So the decision is only going to come when the people who aren't right. in that category exactly are either opening up the doors and bringing people of color in and minorities in to help that decision or That's right. that people have risen to the positions where they're in a position to make a difference. That's right. So until arts organizations start hiring more black leaders, POC leaders, women in charge. Yeah. I don't know if we'll see real, real lasting change. Yeah. It's a good point. Well, this has been a great conversation. Would you like to give any parting words of wisdom? We've covered a lot here, and I'm sure there's a lot more that we can talk about. This is not an easy topic to encapsulate into any short time frame. Yeah, I would say, first of all, thank you for having me again, Joel. This has been a great conversation. I would just say that while we are talking about orchestras and getting a job in an orchestra, I think it's really important to have flexibility now as a student to really be able to do all things mm -hmm. and not think that, okay, if I don't get a job with orchestra, I failed. You know, I think as the 21st century musician, you got to be able to do a lot. You got to be flexible. And most importantly, you have to be nice to people because if you're nice to people in this business, doors will open for you. People talk, people remember things. That's about it. And thank you for, for everything again. You're welcome. Well, yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, being nice to people in such a small world. That's right. <laughs> because in the music world, the people that you start out in your middle school music program or some music camp that you go to might actually be the people that are sitting on a committee to hire you 15 years later because the world is so you never small. Know. Yeah, so it's really important. You know, and even if they're not, they know somebody who is. Yeah. And people talk. And say, oh, this happened 20 years ago, but really made me mad. <laughs> yeah, when you were 15, you did this. <laughs> exactly. That... <laughs> it really pissed me off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Cello Sherpa podcast. Thanks, Joel. Thank you so much to Jonathan Colbert for this extensive conversation on the lack of diversity in classical music. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Cello Sherpa podcast. Be sure and catch our next episode where we interview Janet Horvath, who served as the Associate Principal Cellist of the Minnesota Orchestra from 1980 to 2012. She is a soloist, writer, and award-winning advocate for injury prevention for musicians. We talk about her journey to becoming a leading advocate for injury prevention through her fantastic book, Playing Less Hurt. We're here to serve you, so if you have questions or topic suggestions you would like to cover in future episodes, please use the contact page on our website, thecellosherpa.com, or tweet them at us, at thecellosherpa. You will also find information about the specific services we offer on the website. Don't forget to follow us and rate us on whatever platform you get your podcasts. This helps us climb the rankings so other people can find us. Today's episode was produced, edited, and recorded by me, Joel Dallow.